Today, when we talk about Uliluce's book, we are going to be heavily discussing sexual assault. So if that is upsetting to you or it's just not your wheelhouse, don't listen to this episode. Just, just be warned. Proceed with caution. game has all the feels. Uh, yeah, we played episode one and I was like, this is about the right speed of video games for me, because it's, okay, well, I mean, it took me the entire, like, three hours of playing to be like, how does the camera work? <laughs> and, like, panicking, because I'm not very good at controls, and there's one thing where it's, like, time-based and you have to do it in time, I'm like, I have to keep rewinding! Ah! <laughs> You'd be like, no, you need to rewind all the way, Kathleen, you need all the time. I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> but, so far, really liking it. Very much my speed. Yeah, it's it's very well written. Um, it's a that's a top notch video game. Well, I got to the end of episode one and it was like, here are all the decisions you made, and so then I was like, well, I didn't even know that was a decision I could make. Yes, I let the bird die because I didn't know there was a bird that was dying. <laughs> oh no, you killed the bird. <laughs> that's manslaughter. That's that's gonna that's gonna haunt that's gonna haunt you in episode two. Let me tell you. <laughs> Anyways, are we recording a podcast or what? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's our no, it's our video game podcast. Where no, we're uh, this, this, this is plenty. I can't. Three video games in my life. One is Harry Potter. Two is Shrek. Two the video game. <laughs> I played a lot of video three games. Is Undertale. They're all Pokemon. <laughs> I played every Pokemon. Well, hey, that's still more than Jonathan over here. Yeah, fake, fake gamer boy. I'm a fake gamer, that's right. Just yeah. pretending to like video games so girls will like you. Yeah, yeah, it's freaking great. <laughs> All right, you gross boy. Uh, okay, welcome to the Trade Waiters. We read a book. What book did we read, Kathleen? Uh, we re- Today is the Last Day of the Rest of Your Life by Uli Loost. This book is hefty. It's, as we were commenting before we started recording, it's like 500 pages. Yeah. 464. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you don't have any muscles like me, I recommend digital. Because <laughs> all those yeah. extra pages don't weigh anything else. It's like not a read in the bath book, because you'll just drop it on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good, or at least I like it. Um, I picked this blind. I saw it on the shelf at the Vancouver Public Library. Wow. And I was like... This is a really good title and a sick author's name. Uh, I would like to write this down for later. And then sort of recommended it for trade waiters because I thought it had a lot of potential for interesting things to discuss. There's a great TCJ, um, the Comics Journal interview uh, with her by Mark Sobel. Which is where I figured out that her last name is, I guess, not pronounced Lust. Because there's a comment in there where she was like, yeah, my name is... A certain way for Americans. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, you pronounce it like this way or that way. So I think it's really loose. Um, she's Austrian. She went to school for textile design when she was 15, and she worked in children's books prior to um, doing comics. And she went back to school for a little bit. Um, she said in the interview, I guess someone was writing up a bio for her and they said that she like studied at a certain school and she's like I never studied there and I felt embarrassed for not having gone to school so I went back to school and studied (laughs) comics for a little bit and she's like a background in sort of like comics journalism and was really inspired by Joe Sacco among others and eventually uh she's she's drawn other things but I think this is her biggest work to Mm. date and 
Uh, yeah, oh, she actually started drawing comics at 30. Oh, wow. Um, mm. And she now teaches illustration and comics at the University of Hanover in Germany. This book uh, won the 2013 Ignatz for Best Graphic Novel. It won an LA Times Book Award for Graphic Novels, and it was uh, nominated for the 2014 Best Reality-Based Work Eisner. Hmm. Yeah, so... Oh, sorry, I forgot character-revealing question. Should Let's we, just, just do it now. Do yeah. it now, and we'll edit it yeah. in. Okay. Um, character-revealing question. What experience in your life would you choose to turn into a graphic novel if you were going to? Hmm. Okay, um, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and not really that interested in doing autobio. I think it's really difficult and not really sort of my vein. But if I was compelled to do a uh, autobio, I might do the flat that I lived in in London. There were a lot of interesting people in that flat, and then I could focus the story on them instead of me. There, I, ha- I have stories I could tell about that. Knife fights. Knife fights. That's right. <laughs> And well, I mean, actually, that was a broken bottle fight. The knife fight was extraneous. It happened to someone else. And did you say who you were? Uh, I did. Okay. Yes, yes. Did. Sorry, I didn't tie <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Jem, and I've been writing Autobio for 11 years, like a really long time. Uh, at this point, there's not much that I haven't turned into an Autobio comic. Uh, so it's hard to think of other things that I might expand upon. Like, I think I could do more about the time that I spent at Burning Man, perhaps, although I don't, I'm not really compelled to return to that work. I, there's more... I felt like when I was trying to condense it into a travel log, I had to cut so much out. Uh, and certainly other travel logs that I've written down in journal form, kind of like Elite has, but I haven't ever expanded upon. Uh, like the trip that I took to Europe for three months with my husband, my now husband Trevor, but at the time we had only been dating for like three months. <laughs> it's like, well, let's go to Europe forever, bye. <laughs> uh, so a lot of stuff happened to us uh, during that trip, but I'm not uh, I don't know if it would be interesting. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think the best autobio that I can say is one that hasn't happened to me yet. Oh, there we go. But you made the first mistake of of an autobio artist, which is you ask yourself, would this be interesting to anyone else? <laughs> just just make the autobio comic. That's all you do. <laughs> don't, don't think about your audience. Uh, I'm Jeff Ellis. I, even though I change the names of all the characters, I pretty much do autobio all the time. I do a comic called Teach English in Japan, which is essentially based on my time teaching English in Japan, so that is a time of my life that I am making into a comic. I'm also working on uh, a comic called Crossroads, which is essentially about kind of some of the things that I was doing in the last couple of years. And um, yeah, I, if I had to actually flip it around and make something about myself, I might do my trip to London and Paris, just because a lot of interesting things happen there. I think there's some good story fodder, but it'll probably just happen to a bunch of fictional characters that I'm writing in some other story. But like, if I was going to do something about me, I think that's what I would do. I'm Kay Gross, and you know, I didn't actually think about my answer to this question. Uh, I used to do autobio, I kind of stopped. I've done some thinly veiled fiction that's very obviously autobio about the only thing. I don't know, I don't think I'd do it ever again in the future, necessarily. Um, yeah, I have a short comic about like sibling relationships that I think is the only like hardcore emotions autobio I'll ever do. Yeah, I, I love reading autobio, it's like one of my favorite genres. Um, but I just, I think I'm just becoming a more private person and don't want to share things. 
with people anymore. I just want to be guarded. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly understandable. I think in this day and age, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Auto fire is tough, man. Okay, so this book is Autobio. Um, It's about Yuli's experience. When she was sort of like 15, 16, she was living in Vienna, supposedly sharing an apartment with her sister who has gone away for a little bit. She's like hanging out in the punk scene, was in school, is not in school anymore, isn't really finding a job, just kind of like hanging out, doing whatever, bumming smokes off of people and eventually sort of kind of winds up sort of living on the streets and she meets this girl named Edie who is kind of wild and she decides that they're gonna go to Italy for the winter like Edie's done it before she's traveled without papers without money and they're just gonna you know what they're just gonna go ahead and do it because uh Vienna is just getting cold and they need to go somewhere warmer so they hitchhike and hike for real and illegally cross borders and wind up in Italy and they're sort of like living on the streets, getting help from people. Edie eventually gets drawn into the world of drugs and prostitution, and Uli is sort of like on the edge of that, kind of struggling with it, not really wanting to be a part of it and wanting to stay safe. And um, there's also a very strong theme of like sexual assault in this book, which I think would be just a content warning for anyone looking to read this. Uh, she is assaulted during the book, and it's there's a lot of men not taking no as an answer and that's just like the climate of gender interactions like at this time in Europe and she and Edie get separated for a while and they are reunited and there's this terrifying run-in with the mafia and eventually um, that's kind of like the last straw she makes her way home and when she gets home she finds out that Edie has told everyone that it is Uli who got into drugs and prostitution and, and heroin and stuff so it's quite an, or at least I found it a very interesting read. Yeah. I'd, I'd be very interested to hear. It, like, it's a very loaded read, I think. There's a lot that happens. It's a heavy tone. In reading yes. the interview, used to saying, like, oh, you know, people have been interested in turning this into a film, but how do you do that? It's like, there's so much you have to cut out. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, it was a total, uh, it was a blind read for me as well. I had never heard of it before, basically, I got an email that says, read books of this book for trade readers, and I'm like, okay, I download it, and that was that was it. I was went in cold. Uh, but I, I loved it. Uh, as someone who writes Autobio, I'm also a fan of Autobio, uh, and I took to this work very readily. I think it was a book of, in a really interesting time that I haven't read about, from an interesting place that I haven't read about. But what's really striking to me about this work is when I was reading it, it was like if you're a woman growing up there's a long list of things that you've always been told not to do. And to me this story is the story of a woman who basically did every single thing you told not to do. Don't travel alone. Don't go at night, you know? Like, you have to be very guarded and very careful and this is like the consequence. It's a little bit harrowing to read, but it's like this is the consequence of uh, someone basically living their life in, in, with their decisions flying in the face of all that advice. But what's compelling to me about that is that she does survive, she does persevere, uh, and she is making her own decisions with her own, you know, her own conviction. She refuses to bow to what she, <laughs> what she has been told is a good way to be, right? And uh, I found it really inspiring, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I enjoyed this a lot too. I love Autobio, especially when 
despite my earlier comments, when the author's been through a really interesting experience, I, I really loved reading other people's perspectives on fascinating times in their lives. And I think packing up with just almost a complete stranger and hiking through, like, brambles uh, across a border without your passport. Why, why couldn't they just get a passport? <laughs> I could just never <laughs> Well, I mean, didn't she even said, like, her passport was, like, at her parents' house. Like, it, she could have... Like, it would have taken, like, an extra week, but she could have got a passport. She just was like, no, we're just going to go. We're going to march through the woods and do this. Um, I think it's worth saying this book takes place in the 80s when yes. there was no EU. You had needed a passport to go from Austria to Italy. Yeah. Yeah. And just, like, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I thought it was really interesting. I think maybe it, like you said, it's a, it's a heavy book physically and a heavy book uh, emotionally. Uh, it goes to some really dark places. I kind of like reading books that go into dark places, but, like, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. And I think if you're uh, if you're a man, I think this is actually good to read, just in that it really... Um, it's uncomfortable, but it really has, like, a very stark look at uh, the woman's perspective in sexual assault. And it's, in a way, it's kind of shocking just the amount of times where she's in a situation where a man is just being persistent to a point where she's like, all right, fine, like, just get it over with, have sex with me, so you'll leave me alone. Well, and it's, it's like, she's... It's more than that. Get it over with, have sex with me, so you don't murder me. Right. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> like... And, and one of the things that was really striking me as I was reading this work is that uh, we hear quite often the statistic that one in three women has been sexually assaulted. What I think a lot of maybe people or men probably don't understand is that every single woman has had scrapes. Mm. has had moments where they have been confronted with a situation like that because this amount of... I mean, it's it's extreme, yeah. but it's not that far off right. yeah. from, no, what, from what a normal Every woman, female-bodied person, uh, or, like, you know, whatever, has an experience. You know, almost every party I've been to that's all women at some point, that comes up where you're like, oh, here are my scary stories. Mm. You know that time, like, I thought I was going to get murdered or, like, I thought this was going to happen or this did happen. And, yeah. like... It, yeah. it just doesn't get necessarily spoken about widely or with, you know, like a male audience mixed much. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, sorry, uh, just, I was going to say, like, the thing that I think stood out to me is I think in a lot of these encounters, I found myself thinking, like, oh, man, like, that dude is probably the next day, like, oh, man, I really charmed that girl. Like, so many instances where you're reading it from her perspective and you know she's incredibly violated, but you're looking at the flip side and you're thinking, I bet that guy is walking away thinking like, I'm such a charmer. Like I did everything right. And it's just so angering when you realize just like the ignorance that some people can live under that. They're just like, Oh, this is this fine. Like I didn't do anything wrong. You know, um, it's, it's really upsetting. Yeah. Even uh, there's like a character who's, uh, I'm not sure if he's actually a Buddhist, but he's like, yeah. got a shaved head and he's like a vegetarian and a pacifist. He's trying to be a Buddhist. Yeah, trying to be. Um, <laughs> but, like, e even him, like, he, that, like, he hits on her, like, to a degree that is not okay. Um, yeah, at some point he's just like, why don't we have sex? Yeah. Like, I'm a man, you're a woman, we're traveling together. Uh -huh. We should uh -huh. just do it, I guess. With, like, no <sighs> context of, like, yeah. her point of view. And then... In response, when she says no, he leaves, just abandons her, so she's traveling alone with, like, not 
clearly without even thinking about like this might have consequences for her. And like, not only that, he's seen the consequences. Yeah, he went through an altercation where someone was trying to hold him down so that they could assault the. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that they could uh-huh. assault yeah, some the some guy was trying to like pin him down so his buddy could rape her. Yeah. basically. Yeah, and he so he's trying to do this like, oh, I'm going to be a pacifist. I'm going to be homeless and live on the street, but like, do, like just sort of float through the world and everything will be fine. Like uh, that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, yeah. No, I I screen captured the page. Uh, I forget exactly where in the story it is, but she's sleeping out in the woods, and there's a thought bubble where she says, if I give in and sleep with them, they don't respect me, and if I refuse, they rape me. And I just thought that really summed up her interactions with men throughout her entire trip in Italy, which I will say, like, I spent a good portion of this book, like, where I'm like, is she going to meet, like, one decent (laughs) man in this entire story? And she doesn't. Like, every time there's a male (laughs) character... Like maybe this is the one, and he's, and then eventually he's like, "Hey, how about we, how about we have sex?" I'm like, "Oh God damn it!" Like, <laughs> there's no redeemable male character in this in this work. I think there's some like really good visual like metaphors in this book too for like sexual assaults and and stuff. Like there's these sequences. Oh, I, I wrote down on specifically that was on like 371, where like the the man who was begging her. Oh yeah. Um, to have sex with him, like, he becomes this, like, blanket being that, like, almost like a, a, I, I oh. interpreted it as, like, a phallus. Yeah, it becomes like quite phallic, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just, like, sticking to her, and she's struggling to, like, get out of it, and yeah. it's that made it even more powerful, I think, like, having those visual metaphors. Yeah. Um, I really when, when, um, I forget, when one of the men gets violent and pounces on her, too, he turns all black and it becomes, like, a like a demon creature. Mm. That happens a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I interrupted think, you. I don't know. No, I was going to say the same thing. Oh. I like when they transform into, like, a wolf-like creature and mm. uh, it pounce in a, in a very way that she struggles to get away from, and I do think that that is what it feels like. Uh, I think it is a really accurate illustration of something that is very emotional. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, like, it's it's so so metaphorical in its depiction, and yet it feels so accurate. Oh, so accurate. Yeah, it's like, no, that's exactly it. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily think to depict it that way myself, but it's like, oh, no, you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Um, I think there's just some really, really gorgeous visual language in this mm-hmm. in this book. I love, I love the, like, simple art style that's, like, pencil lines and the um, two colors. Interestingly, when I was reading this interview that, that she had on the Comics Journal, um, she redrew the first 80 pages because she started doing it with a brush and then decided that she liked pencil better and oh, she wow. did it. Oh, wow. That's a lot. And she's like, yeah, I probably won't do that again. But it was, like, <laughs> very interesting. And even um, reading about her creative process, like, she comes from a background of when she was 15, she was studying textile design, and a lot of that is, like, your first idea is not what you're going to end up with. You're going to rework it and rework it and rework it and, like, find a way to turn a drawing into a, a repeating pattern and stuff mm. like that. So it was interesting to read how she, like, relates that to the comics making process. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you folks think about the art? I I really liked the art. It was it was very expressive. I liked the two color, like the green and black. And I actually found it interesting that she sort of took advantage of the overprinting. So, mm-hmm. like, the pencil is gray, and then the green is green, and then when you put the green on the pencil, you get black. So there were certain times where she overlaid, and sometimes where she didn't. 
Yeah. Uh, which I think the effect is more pronounced in the digital edition than the print edition from what yeah, I'm seeing. There's um like page eighty eight. It's pretty stark like the mountains to the car tires right, in my right, digital right. edition. Yeah. yeah. And like yeah, I think are we on the same page or I'm, I'm anyways I'm near there. But like yeah, on yeah. page eighty eight, like you can see sort of almost shapes of bushes in the blacks on the page because yeah. they've got the green overlaid there. And I must have been reading this in poor lighting because um, I didn't notice that. Which is it's like a genius way to to show like dark yeah. things at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. She clearly knows how to use the printing process to her advantage. Yeah, I I liked the art style as well. I thought all the characters were drawn in a really distinct way, which, especially as you're encountering so many characters, mm-hmm. uh, is a good way to do it because you. It's like, oh, this is definitely a different person that we haven't met before. Mm-hmm. And when you encounter them again, you definitely recognize them because they're so spread apart and characterized both physically and in their facial shape and their outfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I liked that a lot. I thought the, the natural scenes were really well rendered. Yeah, and it was interesting. There was a, there's a real grit to the work that I think bringing pencil lends itself to because the environments that she inhabits during this trip are rougher environments, right? She sleeps on the street. She is in seedier parts of town, and there's so much yeah. texture brought into it to, to yeah. really make it feel grungy. Yeah, considering the, um, the subject matter, I think that grungy grittiness really suits it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like the chapter breaks, like just mm-hmm. these like big green green and white like chapter breaks with simple illustrations. Like, And I, I think chapter breaks were necessary in a, in a, in a work like this, because I had to pace myself... I think I read this over the course of about three days, and so I would just be like, okay, I'm going to read to the next break, <laughs> and then I'm going to put this down, and I'm going to come back to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I liked having those those pauses. Oh, that's interesting. I, I wanted to go back. I, I, when I had, when I was forced, because I was reading this while I was traveling, I was forced to put it down. Mm. That made me upset. Like, I, I was like, I need to get to my next place where I can read again so I can pick it back up again. Oh. And uh, it was interesting to me how short a period of time this book covers. It feels like you you go through these chapters. It's like we've been on the road for like a week, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what a week. Yeah, no, it's yeah. been. Uh, I think it was maybe only two months. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the exact time time frame, but yeah. A lot happens in those two months. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this book was not for me. Oh. Uh, like it was very good, uh, and I, I by the end I was starting to feel a little better about it, but. Uh, I just I get in, emotionally invested in the character, and I want good things to happen her for her, and like nothing good happens, like ever, uh, until like when you get to the end, and like you know you're getting close to the end of the book, and she starts to decide like maybe I should leave. Then I'm like, yes, okay, good choice. How can we make that happen? I'm all on board now. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no the the scene where uh, she reunites with Edie, and then they take her to the cabin where they're all doing heroin, and huh. he's just like, yeah, come on, do you want to do heroin first? And I was. I had that moment of just like, oh, God, no, no, leave uh-huh. the cabin now. Uh-huh. Oh, that, that, was, that was the point where she was starting to, like, to, starting to like, separate herself from Edie a bit. Like, no, you you can do that. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that well, was, she, she still did the heroin, though. But Okay, but then she was like, okay, I'm never doing that again. That was a mistake. Yeah, that's, it's really lucky of her that she did heroin <laughs> once and got to walk away from it. <laughs> The scene and with the, um, like the experience with the mafia was so chilling to me. Where it like it's like you know you could actually be murdered by saying the wrong things and mm-hmm. like oh my and she that just was, consistently says the wrong things. Oh <laughs> my god! Like my heart was in my throat the entire <laughs> yeah. time. It was 
Well, it's like obviously you survived this because you made this yeah. book, but like my heart hurts yeah. for you. This is so scary. I I actually wondered if Edie was going to get killed in the process uh, of this book because Edie makes really bad decisions. Like I mean, our main character's making some bad decisions too, but Edie seems to like be like, "What's a good decision? I'm going to do the opposite of that." <laughs> 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 but it's almost a, it's funny how you said that, uh, John. You were rooting for her to get herself out of this situation and mm-hmm. what I felt is uh, her identity was so embroiled in the punk movement and mm-hmm. so every day to her was a day to keep living that life mm-hmm. and so she could have turned around at any time mm-hmm. any day just like oh go to the embassy like I, when she made the decision it was pretty straightforward mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like she, she had that out at any time and so the fight for her was the fight to continue to live her life on her own terms right. uh, and to extend this for as long as she was able to keep making it happen right yeah. you know yeah, uh, despite can, all the bad things that yeah. happened and I can see a nobility in that like that's the sort of like um, like the way that society is built is terrible I'm going to have no part of it like I can see that as a, a really strong motivation like I could be on board for that but then like trying to live outside of society just ends so badly yeah. so consistently yeah. yes. like her family that she like that she comes from they can't be that bad can it I know they're they're kind of crummy when she finally goes home they're like they're really not showing us why she should be at home like at that I, point I could imagine her deciding ah, you know what screw you I'm going to leave and go back and I, live on the streets again I, but still it's like it's not as bad as for- well, everything we're going to take a second for Devil's Advocate Corner again. Oh no! Because uh, I just everybody's favorite yeah. segment. No, but like it's, <laughs> I, mean, I don't. I don't Devil's Advocate. Yeah. Okay, to yeah. be fair, he's only playing it with me. So. I, I don't have I don't have kids of my own, but I imagine if I had a daughter who disappeared for two months to the point where I had to file a missing persons report with my embassy, which is what happens in the story, uh-huh. and then she finally just turns up and. Uh, oh no before she turns up her friend turns up and goes oh she's doing heroin and prostituting herself and then you pick her up and she's like covered in filth and has been clearly living on the streets for two months like it might take me a couple months before I have nice things to say when I pick her up in the car yeah no I would just be happy she's not dead that seems like your your first thing you want to do I'm glad you're not dead glad that your child is not dead <laughs> and still be really, really upset with the decisions that they well, make. Well, sure. Because, yeah. like, I don't know, like, obviously I'm not a parent, um, but, like, when someone is, like, making such self-destructive decisions, it's, like, a really, really difficult place to be in, because you, you love them so much and you want them to be safe and well, and when they finally end up there, there's also, like, s- a lot of anger and resentment of, like, why did you do this to yourself? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I guess I understand why the parents would be very upset in, in that situation, no matter how much they loved her. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I empath- just disagree with how they're... That's See, I, empath- yeah. I empathize with the parents. I was like, yep, that would be me. <laughs> I get it. She deserves to be yelled at right now because of all the decisions she made. I, I almost felt like a parent reading the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. No, don't do that. No. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. But I mean, like, that's the thing, I, I, I've, I'm a little torn, because, like, I think there's a part of me that really romanticizes that idea of just, like, dropping everything and taking off. Like, and I'm, I'm in a place where I'm really stuck in, I have a job that needs me for 12 weeks, and I don't only get one week off. It's really hard for me to book vacation time. I've got a lot of stuff I like that kind of I feel very, like, nailed down right now. But I mean... 
I, I do think there's something really romantic in that idea of just like letting that all slide. You just fill up a backpack and you just go and just make things happen. And she did that. And I think it's kind of admirable that she like she just got up with a friend Edie one day and said, we're going to Italy. And they just started walking. <laughs> and then they ended up in Sicily. <laughs> it's like, wow. So on that level, I'm impressed. But then on another level, it's like, but like to get there, she had so many dodgy encounters with dodgy people <laughs> and dodgy experiences and like people offering her heroin and people raping her. And it's just like, oh, like, was it worth it? Like you've well, got that freedom, but then you're also. I think it, it depends like, on how you define freedom. Right. Like it is possible to have the experience you described with uh, and to avoid the right. experiences right. that we had. And right. we definitely made some choices very deliberately. For example, like the choice to not go back and get her passport. So right. she always <laughs> had to dodge law and be worried about that. You know, like that was a deliberate choice. That was uh, the amount of time that she spent on the street versus I I bet she could have scraped together some other options. Right. Like there's there's decisions that she would have made and she made right. them deliberately. So right. I, I understand what you're saying in yeah. that this uh, it is about freedom and, you know, just taking the moment for what it is and just, well, here's my situation. What am I going to do? And just doing it. Yeah. And seeing, as I said, like, the the fight for Uli is how long can she continue? How long can she persevere right. uh, living to uh, outside? Mm, yeah, right. outside the system that she did that she loathes. Right. Uh, and I think maybe the moral of the story is that you you can try to live outside the system, but the system will come back to bite you whether right. you want it to or not. Right. And yeah. I think to her credit, like she keeps her survival instincts. She's never. Like, all, all the terrible decisions she makes, like, none of those decisions are, I'm going to destroy myself. Mm-hmm. She's, like, putting herself at risk constantly, but she's she's not self-destructive. And I think that... Uh, I've read some other books that are also autobio that are, like, young woman goes and destroys her life. Um, and, like, I enjoyed this one more because she wasn't self-destructive. Like, she, she just wanted to do this thing, and, like, bad things happened, like, for 400 pages... But uh, she still, like, has that, like, that motivation, like, I, I care about me. I want to make it to the end of this book. Right. You no, know, it's true. And, I, like, I would say, like, for example, um, like, when she gets raped, the, the morning after, like, she's feeling a lot of different emotions, but a lot of them are more just, like, she's angry. She wants revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, she... Like, I think the lazy male writer approach would just be that she'd be broken and, like, traumatized forever after that. And, like, this is writing about her real experience. Like, she gets raped and she just gets up the next day and is like, well, like, gotta keep keep it on. Like, not gonna let this, you know, bring me down. Like, yeah, I don't know. It was was interesting just to see, like, the way she is just, like, continuing to, like... Yeah, stubbornly cling to this this lifestyle where you know, I, it would make more sense at that point. Like, why not right then go get the passport, go back to your family? This is crazy, you know. Well, there's two things I want to say about that. Yeah. Number one is that I don't think it rolled off her back as well as clearly as you're describing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it stuck with her. Right. And you see it coming back in echoes over and over mm. and over again. But the the reality of the situation is she has to get up and keep moving. She yeah. has no choice. Right. Uh, number two is I would not say this is the only incidence of rape in this book. Mm-hmm. It is oh, the only it, incidence sorry. that she yeah. herself defines as like this clear division of rape. Right. Yeah. But there is a lot of sexual assault oh, in this book. Oh. Yeah. No. Oh, sorry, like, I mean, this is, like, I don't um, know, a you can big... S- you, I don't know, you can see 
how much this affects her as her character progresses, where she becomes more and more unkempt and like making herself undesirable, mm-hmm. and that's that's very much like a, a tactic or a reaction. That's like you know I've been through this experience and I just I just don't want to be pretty anymore. I don't oh, want to be like that resonated with me so mm. hard. Yeah, that scene where she had the dream. Sorry to cut you no, off. Please. She had the dream where she was like she noticed herself developing and the dream interpreted herself as like, well, now I am just a slab of meat. And it's like, I wish I could divorce myself of these parts that are, you know, causing all of this anxiety, all of this trauma Mm -hmm. is because of these parts that have involuntarily come onto my body. Uh, That's an experience that I really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. Or the one scene that really sticks out for me is like, she's kind of seeing this guy and he gives her a comb as a present. And he's like, oh, you'd look so pretty if you combed your hair. And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And... It's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's difficult. And, um, yeah, it's not, I don't think it's quite as simple. Uh, it, I think it's more complex. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 I'm over, I was definitely oversimplifying. Um, but just like I, I think like I haven't seen something like that written that way. I think it was, I mean, obviously she's coming from yeah. a, a point of experience. But, like, I just, I think that's not a narrative you see in a lot of other writings, so I just thought yeah, it was very, like, it did stick with her, absolutely, but I think it was handled in a way that you don't normally see in a, in a typical narrative, especially true. like a fictional narrative. In, in a typical fictionalized narrative, uh, it's used as a very different tool. Right. I would say. It's a, it used as a narrative tool, and the, the narrative tool is not an authentic portrayal of the experience. And this was an authentic portrayal of the experience. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think it was a a poignant moment at the end, too, where, like, she's decided to go home, she went home, she, like, took a bath, like, everything, she's in her nice, clean bedroom, where, like, she's gonna be left alone, and then last page, she, like, is sleeping in her bed, her nice, clean bed, and then realizes, this isn't gonna work, I'm gonna sleep on the floor, feel safer on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. It feels too wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the one one sort of uh, sidebar on this too is like it was sort of disturbing to me in her travels how it seems like there's just this culture in in Italy of like men looking for unkempt like w- young women traveling who they can offer like a house and money to just so that they can get them into the house so that at night they'll just like climb in bed with them and and paw them and beg them until they, like, get sex out of them. Like, not that's kind of, like, a continuing theme in her travels. Not something that I would say is limited to Italy. No, no, sorry. It's just, like, <laughs> in, in Part of that. No, this is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. this experience is what, if I want anyone to take anything away from this, this is a universal experience. Right. And it's one where, you know, there are decisions that have been on the table for everyone that I've probably ever met. Uh, but she just made the the other side of the coin and suffered right. the consequences. Right. But it's like those types of encounters, there it's not hard. You don't have to walk across the border to ex- to meet people like that. Right. To have experiences that are, you know, borderline. <laughs> right, right. I mean, she went pretty far down this path, but it's like right. it's not that hard to have an experience like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of these men are probably predatory and looking f- like they're they're where people like her are, mm-hmm. so that they can prey on them. Right. Right. So I think she's going to meet a higher concentration of people like this right. than if she were like with a passport in a big group of people. Right. Like right. not yeah. zero versus right. all. Yeah. But, like, the proportion, I think, would be different. Yeah. And, yeah, I, and I, there's there's a reason that uh, I've never traveled without a man. Right. 
Like, I've always gone with, like, a pack of men. Hmm. Because, like, the second that I get separated from them, it's like this starts happening to me. Hmm. And, you know, it's like I make very deliberate choices about, like, what types of clothing I wear when I go to certain places because... The second that you don't, it starts happening to you again. Or, like, <laughs> even in this very city, there are certain things I don't like to do. I don't really like going to bars with my female friends, like, if it's a certain setup, because invariably someone comes over and starts chatting to us, and I find that just, like, deeply uncomfortable, and, like, I'm like, we gotta leave now. And yeah, my friends like, will be like, no, we can get drink, like, they'll buy our drink. I'm like, I'm sorry, I just can't, I need to leave, like, get me out of here. You get into the mode, right? You get yeah. into the mode where you're planning out the conversation two, three, four, five steps ahead, because you know, like, okay, well, if I say this, he's gonna say that, and then I'll be in this sticky situation. If and I say that, you I'm see gonna be here, and I'll the, be in that like, sticky situation. The gears in his head where it's like, if I say X, Y, and Z, I'm going to have sex tonight, and it's like, no, leave me alone, <laughs> I want this. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I, I also again, I want to clarify. There's obviously lots of predatory men in Canada too, not just Italy. <laughs> it just I said Italy because that's where yeah, the story takes place. It is yeah. where the story yeah. takes place. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, you were you were phrasing it in such yeah. a way. It's like I was really struck by how many predators are in Italy. And I was <laughs> like, sure, they're they're more forward perhaps. Right. But it's a, just a, a yeah. an accent on a. I mean, again, like it's, yeah, I, it's not it's not a world I get to experience because of where I'm coming at life from. But it was it was sort of disturbing for me to consider that there's like almost this like cottage industry of like men that are basically like trolling around looking for women who don't have enough money or a passport or or whatever like in poor circumstance that they can then take advantage it's just like ugh, like you know are there guys trolling around the hostels around here right now you know probably yes like, yeah. it's, Absolutely. Yeah. it's not a thing i've considered and now <laughs> that i now that i'm thinking about it i'm like ugh. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you'll, you'll literally meet them everywhere you go. Yeah. Uh, everywhere. <laughs> and so uh, I, I really value this. I've never read a work like this. I've never read a work that I think was this uh, authentic to that type of experience, that spoke yeah. to those types of experiences. You don't see it very yeah. often. Hmm. Uh, I, so I, I really valued it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that, um, you know, this was... A good read. Like, as you know, difficult <laughs> as it was that we all... I think we all got something out of it. Oh like, yeah. I... Mm -hmm. I went into this cold, and, like, I'm really glad I read this book. I found it very powerful, and I feel like I take away stuff from, like, just the it's narrative, the drawing, the way it's all put together. This is definitely, I think, a work I'll be revisiting, and um, I'm very curious to see some of her other work. Uh, I was, like, looking up her stuff online, and one... This is just, like, a, you know, Canadian, we speak French as well. Um, note, I was looking at the French translation of this book, and the title is totally different. Mm. Oh, really? Like, the German one is very similar to this. I have a friend who speaks German, so I was like, oh, um, like, Olivia, can you just, what, how would you translate this, like, German title? And it's pretty similar to this. Um, but the French title is Trop n'est pas assez, which oh, is, like, too much enough. is not enough. Yeah. Which is, hmm. like, very interesting as... I don't know, as a title. Like, yeah, mm. it's like, despite everything that's happened, she keeps pushing to see more. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it fits the book, but it's like... It's yeah. like a totally different tone. Maybe yeah. the, the idiom in, that English has that the title is kind of based on just doesn't exist in French? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Possibly. I, I just thought that was like an interesting note. Um, hmm. I, I'm always interested to see like translations and stuff. And like when I was reading the interview, um, Luce said that... like. This book, she actually had a bit more of a hand in the translation because she oh. speaks 
English. That's um, nice. So she was able to be like, oh, no, you see that German word has more common connotations than how you're translating it in, in English, and I'd actually like prefer it this way and mm. stuff like that. Wow, that um, seems like a best-case scenario. Well, this is, yeah, this is pretty was, neat. This was really... Um, I thought the translation worked really well. Uh, especially, like, I was considering the fact that this was originally written in German, and they do such a good job even with... Because the way she dis- shows you the language barrier is that Italian is in, like, cursive, mm-hmm. and German is in just, you know, regular, you know, uh, standard characters. And yeah, then, I was going to comment on that. And then like, when, I really like that. And then when she's speaking Italian, she does broken, like, English, and when... Italians are speaking German to her, it's, like, also in kind of this weird pidgin English. And so, like, it does a good job of showing you that language barrier by having the imperfect, like, speech balloons. Um, And I thought, wow, this is originally done in German, and now they've managed to communicate that in English so effectively. So There's also speech balloons where it's Italian that she doesn't understand, and it's just scribbles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, cursive-style scribbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then later on, as she starts to pick up on it, it's still cursive, but now you can read it. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved that transition. Uh I thought it was great, where she's picking up words here and there, and now she's picking up kind of, like, shades of meaning, and then she's able to actually converse. Uh, Yeah. That was fun. That was a really clever way to illustrate it. Yeah, but even, like, even later when she's, like, learned Italian, it's still in this sort of, like, simplified sentence structure compared mm-hmm. to like when the Italians say something it's like a full sentence where she's just more like kind of broken like caveman talk right mm-hmm. and then when the Italians are trying to speak German to her it's the same thing they have this caveman talk where it's just it's missing a lot of like the connective words and stuff mm-hmm. I just thought that was kind of interesting to show that like they neither person has a full grasp on the language you know it's like it, it's how I felt when I was speaking Japanese so yeah <laughs> <laughs> also uh, like the sort of the I mean, this isn't kind of the, the main theme of the book or anything like that, but there's sort of, it's an interesting window on a very particular time in a very particular place. like um, With punk, do you mean? Well, well, that and also just like Europe without the EU. Yeah, no, that's interesting as like, well. I really came away from this book thinking, wow, it's so great that you can move between these all, all these countries without a passport now. Like, that, having to cross that border, that was dumb. Why do you have to do that? <laughs> all right. No, the punk scene was really interesting to me mm-hmm. because it was it was kind of nascent at that time, right? It was yeah. still being defined. It was still very much a, a, a subculture that was looked down upon. And uh, it wasn't in all parts of Europe. It was only yeah. in certain places. Yeah, it's oh, really interesting. And I liked how they would encounter other groups of punks, and they're like, "Hey, <laughs> punks are punks. Let's hang." <laughs> like when they get to Sicily, and she's just desperate. Like, are there any punks? Yeah. I want to hang out with some punks. <laughs> <laughs> I also, it's sort of near the beginning of the book, um, sort of like a brief footnote about like the AIDS crisis and how like there's some offhand comment about like, oh, you know, I'm sterile, I think it was I'm sterile so I can like have, you know, sex, whatever, no consequence. And it's like sort of, you know, this is happening uh, sort of pre-concurrent with AIDS and like that's also a very interesting thing to consider with it because I think that would be a very different narrative 10 years ago, very different narrative Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this book could not exist in the same way today. Yeah. I mean, you could have, as I mentioned, like, you can go out and seek experiences like this, but it would never play out exactly like this. Yeah, so much Because of that particularity of time and place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the ability to communicate with people, too. Like, she, so much of the plot hinges on the fact that she misses a connection Mm -hmm. with uh, Edie, and then they don't see each other for, like, 200 pages. And, like, I think today they could have figured that out a lot faster. 
Yeah, you know, you could leave a message on a boat. Well, they had, cell phones they had cell phones, right? Not I mean, even, not even. If you can find your way to an internet cafe, right? Like yeah. Ten years ago, like mm-hmm. you could, yeah. you can make it work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and that's very true. Actually, that's. I mean, that is a very like 1980s uh, conundrum. Was like, there's that time where she was gonna, how she gets separated from Edie. She's gonna meet them at a train station, and this skeevy Italian guy that they were staying with tells Edie and. Andre yeah, to, to wait by the luggage and then he gets Uli to wait out by the ticketing area and he keeps going like oh yeah they're not around I guess they left without you and meanwhile they're waiting by the baggage and he even goes and checks that they're there and then he comes back oh yeah no they're definitely not there like and just to try and get her to live in his house for the rest of her life which is I guess what his plan was yeah, like these plans never extend <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, you know, Which the woman sh- is concerned about too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, just before we wrap up, what do you guys think about Edie? Like, are there thoughts on Edie? Because I, it, there was like, int- it was interesting at the beginning of the story. Like, she seems like this wild party animal and kind of is the instigator to like, let's go to Italy. And then she meets An- Andre and. There's scenes where, like, she's sitting beside him and he's basically going to Uli, like, yeah, she's super stupid. I only, like, am with her because she's hot. And Uli's like, why are you with this guy when he's just talking down to you like this? And then progressively through the story, she keeps making worse and worse decisions and she's dragging Uli into this horrible situation with the mafia. And I, by the end of the story, I was just like, oh, Edie's the worst. Edie's, like, a bad friend. I, honestly, I really felt for her. Like, I feel like I've definitely met people who had similar personalities and like they just you know they don't while they're being in these situations they don't necessarily have the street smarts to navigate them in certain ways Mm. and it just like your heart kind of goes out to them Mm. or at least mine does a little bit where it's like i don't know it's just tough like i can't really feel like resentful or like it's just like I don't know maybe maybe it's a little bit of pity which is maybe unfair but no i've had i've been the same way like i've had several friends that I would categorize like that. Like, they share a lot of the same characteristics and we get into a lot of the similar situations. Uh, and what you learn about people like that is that they're not ever doing it maliciously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they genuinely want to have a good time. They genuinely want you to have a good time and that's why they're inviting you. And as you said, like, it's not a malicious thing that they maybe can't foresee the consequences the way that you can. So, yeah, I don't I don't have any ill will towards really the fact that she, or Evie, the fact that she slandered her at the end is maybe just kind of like a catty thing to do and is maybe a byproduct of youth. Yeah, and also, well, it's like that defense mechanism yeah. when you're young and your parents catch you doing something dumb and you're like, no, yeah. <laughs> it was somebody else. Like, yeah. That's just a way to get out of the situation. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. So it was self-preservation less than malicious intent. Right. Oh, no, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't think Edie was malicious. No, no, no I'm no. just saying, like, so as what I think about yeah. her character, right? right. Yeah. I would say, though, that I'm glad that the story is not from Edie's point of view. I, th- I think I would have a much harder time reading it because, um, like, I can identify with Uli better than with Edie. Like, I, think, I don't know. I think Edie would reflect on this time in a very different way. Yeah, did, did that's any, true too. Though, yeah. Uh, did any of you guys read some of the footnotes in the back of the well, book? Yeah. Uh, some of them, yeah. Because there was a footnote about Uli said she ran into Edie two years later and at a concert, and the first thing Edie said was like, "Wow, what a crazy time!" No, like, exactly. Yeah, didn't we have so much fun back then? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think Uli said, I got out of there as quickly as possible. 
Yeah, in the um, TCJ interview, the interviewer asked, like, oh, um, what does the Edie, like, think of this book? Like, do you have any contact with her? And Luce was like, no, I have no contact with her. I don't even necessarily want to track her down and, like, tell her about this work, because I guess there was a legal case in Europe where um, a cartoonist, like, fictionalized a bunch of stuff, oh. and the person it was about sued him and won. Oh, um, And wow. she was like, yeah, I don't... If that's going to happen, I don't want to be the one to, like, start that. Right. Which is really interesting, too. Mm. So, I don't know. I definitely recommend um, reading that interview. If you yeah, story. that yeah. sounds really interesting. Um, oh, I don't know. The T- TCJ has, like, some really good interviews with people. So I don't yeah. always agree with everything on there, but do you like the interviews? I'm going to link that on the yeah, sure. Tumblr. Um, there we go. Yeah. Are we wrapping up? Sure. Final uh, thoughts? Yeah. Final thoughts? Uh, I liked it. Would you recommend it? So, hmm, it's not a beginner's work, right? You know, like, it's not something that I can universally recommend to everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone who's used to reading comic doesn't find a 400-page comic book intimidating. Uh, You know, someone who's interested and open to a heavier work. Um, And someone who's interested to learn of a very different perspective, perhaps. I would recommend. Like, I, I really liked the work. Yeah. I really liked it. I, I liked it a lot too, and I think it is a good springboard for some important conversations. Uh, so yeah, I think it's it's a good work. But yeah, I would definitely have the proviso like, you know, have some have some trigger warnings before you pass that to your friend. And mm-hmm. like, it is definitely not a good first comic. This is like a good fifteenth comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I would recommend it to certain people, like depending on who uh, who I'm talking to. I would not recommend it to myself. Um, I don't regret reading it. Like It was uh, a, a worthwhile experience, but I wouldn't say it was a fun experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed this book. I blind recommended it for this group, which I only felt comfortable doing because I feel like I know you guys moderately well in your tastes <laughs> and what you're comfortable with. Um, I don't think I would necessarily blind recommend it to someone in the future. Like I would recommend it, but I would put just a bit of a content warning, you know, depending on the person, just like, just so you know, this does deal heavily with sexual assault. But I think it's a very worthwhile read, and I think it's an excellent comic, and definitely if you like reading good comics, read this comic. Yeah, I also want to add, too, that the, uh, given that this is autobio, like, autobio, I keep saying this because I convinced it's true, autobio is really hard to write. It's really hard to take your real life and turn it into, like, a narrative that works. And this is a really, really good example of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, are we going to do shout-outs? And who we are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. Uh, you can find my work at uh, www.something-something. Uh, <laughs> on the internet. Just yeah. ask somewhere, us. Just somewhere on the internet, yeah. Um, the, uh, do I have a shout-out? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm going to shout-out Bones of the Coast. It's this anthology put together by this group from Vancouver, um, something something comics. I forget what they're called, but it's a really good anthology with some really think, good stories. I in think it. I've heard of that. You know, it's like I, I got to check, but I haven't seen the book yet. Re- it's a good book. <laughs> you know, it's a good book. <laughs> when do I get one? I you do really do no longer do that. Anymore? I should have brought one with me to give you, but I have one you could sign. Did I have one? <laughs> I think he's saying no. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to come back to my house, I have them there. (laughs) 
Uh, I don't know what to shout out. You don't have to shout out anything. All right, I'm Jem. I guess you can find my work at wastedtalent.ca, but it's over. Uh, I have nothing to shout out. I've and, just been and working. And deleted on off the internet. It's deleted. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and you can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca, and. I've I've been on holiday, so I've mostly been reading a lot of the books for trade waiters. So I don't have a shout out. Um, I'm Kate Gross. You can find my currently updating webcomic at lunarmalities.com. Uh, I'm not going to shout out a comic. Uh, I'm going to shout out a TV show that is my like agenda to get everyone to watch. But I just binge through. Please like me on Netflix. It's a really sweet and funny and heartbreaking show about uh, a guy who sort of figures out that he's gay in his early 20s as he has to move back in with his mother who has just tried to commit suicide. And it's very dark about mental health stuff, but it's very honest about the realities of living with a parent who has a severe mental health problem and also the realities of um, just like figuring yourself out in your 20s. And it's at the same time very funny and very heartbreaking. That sounds good. Super good. Everyone should watch it. It's so good. The sounds writer was 26, and it's so emotionally complex. Sounds <laughs> like a good break from watching nonstop Marvel superheroes, <laughs> <laughs> which I could use, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Next episode, we are going to cover Paper Girls, Volumes 1 and 2, by Brian K. Vaughan, Cliff Chang, and Matt Wilson. Okay. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com or thetradewaiters.tumblr.com or find us on Google Play or SoundCloud, SoundCloud um, iTunes, iTunes, Stitcher. Yeah. We have a Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're in lots of places.